going to begin in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'm being impacted. I didn't expect it would come the way it's coming, and I wasn't... I knew I was coming into Christmas season. It was a larger portion of Christmas that I was longing for. I thought of it in part that I wanted to understand Jesus in his totality. You know, he was, the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. He's the only begotten Son from the foundation. Everything began before time began, so Christmas has been complete even before we sinned and fell into the need of Christmas. So I was looking for the big picture. But I wasn't, I was surprised and I'm pleasantly surprised and I'm trying to submit my heart. I wasn't, uh, I'm really happy the way the Lord's kind of now pressing, invading, activating and enlarging my heart. So, Let's all stand together while we read Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And if you'll read aloud with me, the scriptures will be yours as they are mine. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also... The Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Yes, yes. today. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me 
according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Yes. You may be seated. Thank you. Just that every time I read the story, it is just comes alive in other, in, other, in other ways. More beautiful than ever before. I want to talk about let it be done to me according to your word or let it be according to your word and the power of God's word to bring about the word of God into flesh. And um, I love this story because inside the story of Mary's immaculate conception, something which could never have happened through man, but could happen because of God's word and Holy Spirit, we understand how this life in Christ happens every day we go to pray Every time we have an encounter in the Word or in the presence of God or the Spirit of God comes and it begins to speak into our life. There is a moment where, where, where heaven is influencing us and we are being connected, like in Mary's case, Gabriel shows up. And, a, and there's a proclamation being given, a, a statement, utterance, words, Many times it's reading the scripture and you're just kind of going, wow, I never saw that word in that verse or I never really saw that verse before. I'm going to take another look and we go and we listen. And that is a rhema. That's a God's spoken word that's being spoken to us from the author out of the logos, which is the written word, the totality of God's scriptures. And uh, there's opportunity to have conversation. What is that? How is that going to happen? What do you mean? God's not a, God is not ever, I've never felt that he says, and in scripture says, makes it clear, he does not, just, he, he, he wants us to ask questions. He wants us to inquire, how will this be? The difference between Mary and Zacharias is Mary was asking an honest question of how will this miracle occur because I don't know a man. She was not like Zacharias basically being cynical to the proposition that his wife Elizabeth and he were going to have a child. The name was going to be John. He's going to be a great uh, a prophet because he said, how can I know this for sure since I'm an old man and my wife is way older? Literally the Greek. I love men. We're just so good about that. It's not really my fault. It's always been her fault, but we're both old now. And Gabriel has to say, I'm Gabriel. Like, 
I'm here. Do you need more? I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to give you these good tidings, and now you're not going to be able to talk until these, this comes to pass because there, you did not believe the words that will be fulfilled in their time. Scripture has, I would say, a life of its own, but that's not the best way to say it. Scripture has the life of God and the purpose of God behind it, and it will prosper to which God sent it and will never return to God void, even if it looks like it fell into bad soil and a life never produced life. Life will continue in the Word until it finds a full expression in the living body of Jesus. So we don't have to try to hold things as hard as we do sometimes. We just have to receive them. And so Zacharias got to be still and know that God was God. You know, sometimes you can find that nothing's, there's no, there's no ability to advance because you're supposed to, we're supposed to just get quiet in where we are. But by the time John is born and his name is given as John, his mouth is open and he prophesies and he praises God and he just gets all excited. So God has a way to bring us all forward. But Mary asked, well, how, how will this happen? And he said, well, the power of God's going to come upon you and the, and the, and the Holy Spirit's going to come and, the, and, the over, and God's going to overshadow you with his power, which is something that happens every time we have an encounter with the Lord. It's, you, there's a transference. It's the regeneration through the Holy Spirit. It's the sanctification by the Holy Spirit and belief in the truth. It's the communication of, of eternal life coming into our temporal life and something is born. Uh, this overshadowing word is used on the Mount of Transfiguration when the, the, the cloud, the bright cloud comes and overshadows the three disciples as they're, and as they're beholding the vision of Elijah and, and Moses and Jesus and all of a sudden out of the cloud comes the voice this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased hear him and when the voice is finished speaking and they look up there's only Jesus that was an overshadowing it's only used one other time and it's used in the book of Acts I believe in chapter 5 when uh, miracles were exploding in uh, Jerusalem and Peter, who was one of the three on the top of the mountain, was uh, having such uh, an overshadowing of the glory of God on his life that they would bring the sick and just get them outside. And if he could just get in the, in, it, it says inside the shadow, but it's not the shadow that you're cast by the, the sun hitting your body and, and causing the light to not go, go any further, but it was the overshadowing, same Greek word. And when they came inside of the overshadowing of the glory of God, everyone was healed. And Peter, when he goes to 2 Peter chapter 2, I wasn't planning on telling you this, but 2 Peter chapter 2, no, chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1, he's explaining that he's about to leave his depart. He's about to be leaving. And he wanted to make sure the word of God was secure in the hearts of the believers so that they could have of the witness and remembrance of what he understood and was a witness to. And so then he talks about that overshadowing experience, that the eyewitnesses of the glory and majesty of God. And out of the glory came this voice that said, you are my beloved son. And then he says, and so we have the prophetic word 
the fullness of the word even more sure than this prophetic experience, but this prophetic experience has marked my life forever. So we have to keep these as a light that shines in a dark place until the light, the day dawns and the morning star rises in our heart. So to bring it all back to Mary, she says, be it done to me. Let it, let it happen. I'm going to yield. I don't know what this fully means, but I'm going to yield to what I'm being propositioned, what I'm being promised, what's being spoken to me. Be it done to me according to your word. And there is no way of ever knowing what the word will do to you other than it will change you into the likeness of Christ, but it also may cause a cost that's beyond anything you had an idea of. For Mary, first thing was an annulment. That was the plan. How would you like to say yes to God and get, and then get your fiancé decides we're going to annul this relationship because I don't believe the report that you've been retold. I was not at the meeting. So for Mary, she does the most intelligent thing that any of us can do. It's the same where it's the same story for all of us. This was the story to bring us all into the story. So our story in Christ of discovery will be like Mary, but within the inside now, the other side of resurrection. So she did the most sensible thing you can do when you've been given a promise. It is change, changing the trajectory of your life. You've said yes to, but you cannot perform it. It's affecting the circumstances surrounding you, but you don't know how to, how to manage it. Your relationships are drifting away. Others are in jeopardy. What do, what do I do? You go to find someone else in a like experience. See, it was the angel Gabriel that also told her, by the way, your relative Elizabeth had this similar experience begin five, six months ago, and she's about to have a baby. So Mary, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to compromise what's happened to you to try to save your marriage, or are you going to try to, to negotiate your marriage to be saved, or you just say, you know what, I'm going to leave that in God's hands. I'm not going to try to undo it or do it or save it or read I've just got to go to the place that someone else is in a faith moment like me. And so she shows up with uh, Mary, or, Mar or excuse me, Elizabeth. And when she says, hello, Elizabeth, now the Spirit of God goes into, comes alive inside of John, the promise that she's carrying. And the babe leaps in the womb, and the Spirit of God fills uh, Elizabeth. This is, so, this is an old Pentecostal uh, uh, principle I've heard forever is that you've got to know what makes your baby leap. You've got to stay in a message that your baby comes alive. Because there's always, God will always work at confirming the promise you're carrying with the promise others are carrying. And that, and that there's, there's life that's flowing. And so she, Elizabeth, is saying, I can't believe the mother of my Lord. So she's fully in. How she knows they don't have... Twitter, they don't have text messaging. It was a good journey to get up there, but she knows because the Spirit of God in you and the Spirit of God in me is the same Spirit of God and the same Word of God, and He has a very great capability of affirming within us, each other, the things God's given us that we're carrying. And so she um, says, 
when you spoke, the babe, six months in my womb, was filled with the Spirit and leapt for joy. And then Mary, we didn't get there. Maybe next week we'll start there. She does what we've always been referred to as the Magnifica. She says, you know, you know, I am, I, I, you know, I'm blessed, you know, from a nation, you know, but my soul does rejoice. And my, my, no, that Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices with, in the spirit. And, the, and then she prophesies and she speaks to it what's coming. So it, it's like the first prophetic conference, a promise given, a promise with a promise will activate both promises. Both promises will come further into their fulfillment, if not physically, but experientially. And we'll go, oh, I felt good. It really, 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 really felt good. And I don't know in this hour that we're living, which is such a precarious time, and there's so many reasons for us to be alarmed and try to and wonder what can we do, what must be done. And yet, in the middle of this Christmas story and the one that we're in, God was overriding, over, overarching over everybody's story to bring about the story. And I believe it's the same today. I believe what I felt in my spirit when I, when I was telling in the beginning, I'm looking forward to the largeness of Christmas to be experienced, but I not, was not prepared for the depth of Christmas to start penetrating and connecting me to the Father's will. To, to engage in fellowship with the Father and with the Son and to be being impacted. And yet I shouldn't be surprised because for this year it has really been a journey of three things that continue to just get larger and larger. And they happen to be the, the three marks that Jesus said of discipleship, which is that place that we step beyond believing. We're just not adherence to a creed. We're a followers. We're pursuing a man, and so in pursuit, we have to submit to the disciplines he places before us. And the first discipline that Jesus gave to those who believed in him was in John, I think, 831. If you could pull that up, John 831, which was that we're in the midst of some really tight interchange in the temple. They'd caught a woman in adultery. They wanted to get, catch him in his words. They wanted to force him to have to make an act, decision against the law because they knew he was a goody good, loved people and wouldn't want to hurt anyone. But now they're pressing him and he puts the turns a table. Whoever's without sin, throw the fat first stone. Hearts or consciences condemn, convict, and they go, I'm not going to be the first one then. And so then, because there's no first one, there's no one. And those are the two questions he asked a hey, woman. Where are your accusers? And where are, is there no one to condemn you? He continues the story enlarging. And, and inside the temple, in this one encounter, there are, there, there's faith rising. Whoa. And so Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. So this is active faith, real faith at the moment. Active faith. We do not discount this active faith. If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed. So Jesus was speaking to faith, but then trying to help us to know here's a key to continuing faith. You've got to have to abide in my word. 
And the word there is the logos, the beautiful logos, the whole, the whole truth, the whole Bible. And that, uh, and why would that be important? He gives the promise. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So inside the totality of submission inside Scripture to living, abiding inside Scripture daily, it's often continually place, placing our thoughts or, or setting ourselves inside of Scripture is knowing truth. And when I know truth, truth makes me free. It's, it's not just hearing truth, because hearing truth can begin to release faith. But it's the knowing truth, which is the word gnosko, which is the word uh, of intercourse. It's the word that Joseph did not know Mary until after Jesus was born. It's that type of exchange. And you'll know this truth. This truth will come in, penetrate, affect, change, and that truth will make you free. You may be miserable first, but you will be free at the end. It's, it's the power of the living word. And... I, like I said, this year, why shouldn't, I should not be surprised because when we started and God gave us, gave me 2 Chronicles 20, 22, which is this, uh, when they began to sing and praise the Lord that he set ambushes and the Amorites began and the Moabites took, went after the Edomites and the Edomites were destroyed and the Amorites and the Moabites all went against each other and the whole of the whole armies of three nations were destroyed themselves while all Israel was doing is marching toward the battle looking into salvation and praising the Lord and so I'm going this is alive how do let's do it we've got to start we've got to keep the song alive and I felt I felt the Lord say give the men put something in their hands they need something to praise me with and immediately I felt the Lord meaning that put the Psalms you, you know, a lot of us have been around you. You take five psalms a day, you get 150 psalms, and 30, 30 days you've got a whole 150 psalms. And the idea came, let's read them to the author. Read them to Father. Don't, don't read them to ourselves, and don't try to interpret them or try to even understand them. Just read them. You know, just like, it's like how do children? I remember Francis uh, Schaeffer's wife which was one of the great the, uh, apologetics theologians of 20th century, she had said, and it impacted us in our child rearing, she said the most, single most important thing a family parents can do is to read aloud to their children. Now, if you think about it, reading aloud, why would reading aloud help you? Because you're going beyond the vocabulary. You're going beyond the, the capacity to understand what all these words. But somehow, the osmosis of Hearing someone reading aloud majorly impacts your ability to, 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 to see, to hear, to understand. And, and in a, uh, we've watched it in our five kids, you know. It, 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 it opens uh, the capacity to not like watching a video, not like watching a show, not like uh, even reading it to yourself. We, Tell people all the time, read this, read out loud, read to yourself. So we started that. I wasn't prepared. We did it for a month. The first month, my life, my, my courage returned to uh, experience 
the, and to anticipate the mercy of God and power of God coming forth in real life circumstances. So we did it again. After one month, we did it a second time, and everybody was involved. And then we went, to, uh, we had, that was 60 days. And then it happened that were 40 days from the end of that was Easter. So we then took the Gospels and we overlaid chapters so that we kind of were in the same story event, whether it was recorded three times in the Gospels or two times, and we just kind of rattled through without uh, breaking the chapters up, just putting them in the order they would come, but, but overlaying them on top of each other, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we got to Easter, so then we were uh, time to, I think we, I don't know if we went straight into Acts or we started into the whole new, yeah, we went into Acts and into the epistles as they kind of unfolded through the book of Acts and finished the gospel and the whole New Testament. And then we're about ready, Lord willing, for all of us to get finished the New Testament December 31st. And, you know, if you're going, wow, I haven't been in all of that, just start tomorrow. And you can, there's, you know, right back there is the December list and online, and it's just two chapters. And I've been so impacted that I'm going to place together in the next week before our men's meeting next Saturday the uh, reading schedule for the whole Bible next year, uh, as well as the new, keeping the New Testament fresh in our, in our reading. So it'll be kind of a two-tier program, somewhere like between three chapters a day to five chapters a day, depending on your, 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 where you feel the Lord stirring your commitment. Now, why am I doing this? I am being changed. I'm being made free. See, I've, I've loaned the Bible, read through the Bible many times, but I, I was a topicalist. I looked to the theme that I was after. And now I just read the scriptures, and I'm being transformed because I'm encountering truth. And truth is, whoa. It's like, I didn't expect to see that. And this is what you're really after? See, a lot of cultural Christianity just keeps perpetuating itself because it's repeated often enough. And the scriptures have an entire different, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm encountering God in a way that's more demanding in this Bible than any of the things that I've followed in the last 20, 30 years. More demanding just because it's a heart issue. Comes into my heart and he speaks to me in truth and he calls the, the, to accept the Christ, the Messiah, as spoken and as recorded, as prophesied, as promised. And then I acknowledge in the accepting that that's not who I am and I cannot produce who you are, but I can accept what you are saying of who you are. So because we're in John, the, you would think the disciples, I mean the believers, they're not disciples yet, they're just believers. They'd be just going, yeah, I'm in, I want to go, I want to be in the Bible. And probably a lot of us can remember when we were so hungry to read the scripture. We didn't need it to get anything out of it, to get somewhere, to go, to accomplish something with it. We just wanted to be immersed and, and train, changed. But the scriptures are challenging. I've not, when the Bible's really working and the Spirit of God's really moving, He's convicting me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because well, I have unbelief somewhere in this area. Ju uh, righteousness because I haven't accepted the righteousness of Christ as all sufficient and I can't see Jesus because he's in heaven. 
and judgment because I'm still living under the pretext that all the problems that are happening are, are, are variables that I need to be responsible over versus to acknowledge that the ruler of this world has been judged. So there is no issue with the, the devil's going to just mess up God's purposes. He's, he's just helping God help us be inside of a pressure mechanism to discover the truth of God's word. But anyway, the disciples say, we are Abraham's descendants. We, 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 we're Abraham. I mean, that's like saying I'm an American. And don't, I'm just going to leave it there, okay? Don't get at me. I shouldn't have said that. I could feel it right when it came out of my mouth. But Abraham, an American, I mean, we're we relating ourselves to forefathers and attributing what, we, what they were by, who, by, the, by, 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 by being in the place that they were or under the lineage of it. And he says, we've never been in bondage. And yet they were totally in bondage. We, we, how can you say you'll make us free? Jesus answered, most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Oh, no, don't get personal on me, Jesus. I'm Abraham's descendant. I don't want to talk about personal responsibility before God. I'm just Abraham's descendants. No, 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 Abraham is totally, you, as you read the whole chapter, you'll find it. He was, he was very much hearing God speak. So he says, well, the slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son does. If, therefore, if a son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. So one of the things I've learned is when this scripture offends me, don't run from it. Run into it. And run into it, submitting yourself to the truth that Jesus is reflected in the scripture. I cannot produce it. And you may be convicting to me of some attitude of my heart, which is the issue God's most involved in with all of us, is our heart. Our heart attitude, our heart response. We, not our actions. Actions are important, but, if they're, but we can deceive ourselves with actions. We, but, and our action can look righteous, but be wicked, full of self and deceit. But at heart, you cannot when God begins to shine the light of his word into it. That's why the scripture is alive, powerful, sharper than a laser beam, to se- able to separate from the, the soul, from the spirit, and the marrow from the, uh, the joints, and go into the thoughts and the very intentions of the heart. So therefore, the beautiful thing is, Scripture alone does not save me. But Scripture bringing me to encounter Jesus Christ is saving me. So the Scripture isn't an instructional handbook on how to live, although it's very demanding on how I am to live. It will bring me to these moments where I have to come to submission to Jesus Christ and acceptance of God's testimony of the Son and of his provision of his Son. And so it, it's, it's just impacting. The second place Jesus speaks is on the night of his betrayal in John chapter 14. And I forget the exact verse, but he's, he's speaking to his disciples, and these are his, you know, his 12 and saying, you know what, you're not going to be able to go with me any, into the future at the moment. I'm going to have to do what I can only do. And they're saying, why not? We can do it. We can do anything you can do. And Peter's shooting at his mouth saying, I, I'll go to prison. I'll go to death. And because he's doing that, he's being put into a position that he's not going to su- succeed. So I'm actually in chapter 
Uh, well, I'm going to look. That's why it looks so different on my page. It's going to be John 13. Jesus gives this charge. And this is probably, to me, still the most challenging charge of all. He said, uh, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So to abide in the word is something I can practice. Now I'm to practice loving as I'm being loved by Jesus. Love is not to ever end with me, but to come to me and go out from me to someone else. To love as I'm being loved, which is important. It puts a big responsibility on each of us as a believer. I don't know, every one of us have gone through times of feeling alone, being forsaken, no one's recognizing my contribution. I don't feel loved. I don't feel valued. I don't feel appreciated. And we can then, living in that thought, justify actions that are very unloving. We can divorce our wife. We can leave a relationship. We can betray a, a, a trusted friend because, the, you know, the fire's gone out. We don't see... The, the reciprocation going on. And yet the truth of the matter, if we to follow Jesus, is we are, to we are first to be loved. See, jump, jumping ahead in John 15, Jesus tells us how we do this. And he simply says in John 15, verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. So, for Jesus to love us, he had to abide in the Father's love for him. So, he was a loving man because he was being loved as a son. You have to be loved by God to love like God. But it is not, you're, we're not released to not love like God. See, Jesus, this is a commandment. I'm not giving you, this is not like an option. There's going to be the love camp and there's going to be the other camp. No, you're going to, as I have loved you. So what that tells me is that love is to be received and believed. And when I'm not receiving it, I need to believe it. So the circumstances of life are not telling me I'm being loved. The word of God's telling me I'm being loved. The spirit of God's telling me I'm being loved. Romans 4, 5, 5 says that love of God is poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit given to me. So the responsible, responsibility now, again, rests on me. We used to tell this in youth groups. We used to tell this to people when we were young. And You know, if you're getting married to get love, don't. Love, you will not find love by getting married. You've got to be in love in with God and have the love of God because marriage is a demanding of love. It's not a giver of love. I mean, it will become a, a giver of love over time, just like the living body of Jesus at, at one point is going to grow up itself inside love. There's going to come a love flow that's going to start creating almost as though we were ourselves generating growth, but it will be because we're receiving from the head and now we're giving away what we're receiving and there begins to become an edification of the entire body inside of love. 
But here's again the good news. I don't have to wait for anyone else to do this. I'm being charged by Jesus to read the Bible and to receive his love and to love as he loves, to love as I have been loved. Go back to uh, John 15 because there was a couple more verses. He says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The word commandments and commandment in the Greek are one word. It's purely the translator's desire to say, well, everything Jesus is saying is his commandment. And yet, in the specific, what he's doing is he has a new commandment. So if you'll continue in my commandment, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. The, the, the love of God is the glory of God in function, in action, in life. And if you will place yourself inside of God to receive the love of God by the Holy Spirit, believe and receive and receive and believe and let Jesus love us, we will start encountering this kind of love and the love will start flooding out of us to others and it will dismiss all of the reasons that we are not being lovely. Because it'll get so strong, we'll love our enemies. It's not meaning that we will approve of our enemies, but we'll not have ill will and want them to die. That's not Christian. That's, you see, that's where my heart has to be checked. Now the Word of God comes back and says, hey, if you want that person to fall, what makes you any different than anybody? You're not my son. You got to be merciful like my father. So again, now I'm getting convicted. Okay, close the Bible. Let's not have that happen. <laughs> but it's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, no, Jesus, you're absolutely right. I am absolutely like that. I am selfish to the bone. And I cover it up with religion as quick as I can. I'll make myself look righteous. I'll go take people's houses from them and they'll make long prayers to look like I was really caring. Uh, that's me. That's who I am. The flesh Steve. The carnal Steve. The soul, soul Steve. So I'm now being brought into sonship, yet it's not like through just uh, affirmation. It's through the charge of Submission to the truth to come to the Son. Submission to being loved as Jesus kept in the love. And then he says his promise. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So one of the signs of being well loved by Jesus is you're joyful. You're full of joy because you're being loved by God. And if God asks you to go into an unlovely situation, to be not regarded by man, to be treated illly, to be betrayed, what does it matter if you can stay connected inside of the love of God? No, it's easy to say, but very hard to do. Oh, I would to God I'd never discovered it, but I, Cammie was the one who first voiced it, and she's regretted it ever since. She said, God's trying to love us to a point of sonship where we are not, he can place us anywhere he wants us, and we won't feel rejected, challenged, condemned, or offended. We won't question our relationship with him. He would like to love us so well he can put us in hell. 
places and places. And see, that's what I learned later is that he just went ahead. He's doing that. Part of it is loving me and then placing me in a hard place. Part of me is placing me in a hard place so I can learn that his love is greater than the place I'm in. And then we have to learn that. We have to, okay, let's let this, let's, let's let this love happen. Because I, I am really having an identity crisis where I am. Because of where I am is telling me that I'm a failure. That I'm not being accepted. That I'm not being received. That I'm, I'm all the competition, all the pride of man, all the fear of man. All of it comes alive under pressure. And then I'm trying to change the pressure because if I get rid of the pressure, I'll be a better person. No, I won't be a better person. I'll be who I am in disguise. You find out who you are in the trial. In the test, you find out who you are, and then you go, oh, I didn't want to be that. I worked, I went six months thinking I wasn't that. Now I'm that again. So you go back to the scripture. Lord, how in the world will ever a selfish, fearful, frightened boy live inside of trust and reliance, inside of conflict, and be loved and be free? And it comes back over and over the same thing. You won't. <laughs> you will in me. That's why you have to abide in me. Abide in my love. Abide in my word. You have to. It's another language. It's another, it's another atmosphere. It's another. Tr and, and so the third thing is John 15.1. And we'll close. John 15.1. And I went in the order they come. But they all three are the promises made to me and us to abide in the abiding. And it's all identifying us as disciples. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bear, does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch he bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. The word clean and prune are very, very, very related as almost, it may even be the identical Greek word. So what, what he's saying is, I'm the vine, I'm the life source. My father, he's the one who's tending this whole entire community that he's bringing forward. And anything that's not bearing fruit, it just kind of gets discarded. It doesn't go on. But those who bear fruit, he comes and he prunes it or cleans it. He gets... He gets, uh, he gets involved. <laughs> so why, when we make those big promises and really new consecrations to God, the first thing we get involved is getting pruned. Wait a minute. Why are you dealing with my heart motive? Wait a minute. Why is this all of a sudden so irritating? Why am I in this situation? The discipline of God comes. So he says, I've spoken. You're already clean. You've already been pruned to this point because of the word which I have spoken to you. So now the logos again. This whole big conversation that I keep myself inside of and living under, submitted to, I don't have to believe it. I just receive it as truth. I don't have to prove it. I just accept it as being true because it's been spoken, written. And I don't have to try to uh, perform it because I'm in, I receive the relationship that I have with the Son. He makes me free. He loves me. He allows me to have a love encounter that I can go on and love. So he says, you're, you're, in the, you're good right now. Abide in me. Now we're talking about the future. Abide in me and I in you.
It's a lot of work to abide in Jesus, but it's not hard if you just commit to do it. Come up and show up. Locate. Change your address. Be a part of me, my kingdom, inside of my heaven. Abide in me and I in you. Now that, again, could be very, you know, like, well, how do you do that? Well, first, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And we all know, beloved, that we can do a lot of things without Jesus, unfortunately. And we are doing a whole lot without him. But if we're abiding, it's him doing it through us. It's a different storyline. It's a different grace flow. It's a different sense of joy and acceptance. So he's saying, okay, here's the deal. You, I just need you to be abiding in me because I'm the life source. You cannot be me. You cannot love like me unless I'm loving you. You cannot be free like me unless I'm making you free. And you cannot bear fruit like me unless you're abiding. And then he tells us his little secret. If anyone uh, does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. You know what I, years ago God said, you know what that is? That's the description of burnout. Failure to abide means you lose the source of life. You continue in the work that you're in place, but you have no longer the, oh, I would do it all over again just because I had another moment with you. Your truth is always prevailing. I have to submit allow it to be my, my lifeline. Uh, thank you for loving me again, and here I am. Otherwise, you dry up. First set of circumstances come, knock you off your, your, your place. The, the rains come. The sand foundation goes away, and we're burnt, cast into stone. So how do we avoid it? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Now we're full circle back to Mary. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. So when Mary said, let it be done to me according to your word, is the word rhema. And here Jesus says, if you will abide in me, and the words that I'm speaking to you abide in you, then you can speak about whatever needs to be done, and it will be done. And by this, my Father will be glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. A, a, a fabulously powerful answered, answered prayer life is a sign of discipleship. A fruitful prayer life that's going, whoa, I love praying. First it affects me, then it touches others, then, it, then I'm, there, there's fruit growing here. So I'm, I'm by no means... <laughs> By no means, by no means can I point to so much external about this really works, but I can, I can tell you volumes of what's happened to me internally. Because the internal is the eternal, and the external is the temporary. So if I get my wife working perfect, it's only for a moment. Get a quick picture, the house is clean, because it won't be messy tomorrow. You know, it's that kind of temporal. But if I find that I can sleep on a boat in the middle of a storm, 
that I can be terrified by my enemies but turn back into peace so that I'm not terrified by them. If I can find love that is demanding enough that says you are, you're to love in this relationship, in this direction, and I, I'm being changed from the inside out. And that's what Mary did. She said, let it happen. I have no idea what's happening, but let it happen. And that's where we are today, every one of us. No matter who we are, how long we've known the Lord, God is working a work to bring forth his son to be fully revealed in us. And none of us are, none of us are too far, far down the road for us to have the fullness of that happen, and none of us are too beginning of life that we can't allow it to be happening right now. It's just submission. I'm sorry to say that, but the whole Bible could be reduced to one word, submission. I wasn't the one who said it. A great man of God told me that once. Scared the bejeevas out of me. Bristled up against me. He said, I like to get close to young ministers. I feel their spirit. I'm going, oh, you, I hope I didn't, I hope I've got a good heart right now. And apparently enough that he would say, you know, I want to tell you the scripture is to be received and submitted to. And it's truth. And if you submit, then it's a discipleship. It's a practice. So you go to the morning tomorrow, and you go to pray, and you go, Lord, I'm, I want to... Sometimes I read the Bible, and I don't even pray. I just read it out loud, because my prayers are lousy prayers at the moment. My head's spinning. I got loopy loops in my head. So I think, I'm just going to read the scriptures out loud. And sooner, no sooner than I start reading the scriptures, the ones we have set aside, and I'm going, whoa, whoa. Whoa, because once you get used to being made free, you like it. It's like taking showers. Once you get used to getting clean, you want one. You know, get the B.O. off of me. You get, you know, and it's just, you start, you start experiencing it. And once you start realizing that when I'm getting tight like Mr. Scrooge, it's because I've not received love in a long time. I want to be loved even though it's going to demand of me to have an entirely different attitude toward everybody. And then once you start having these personal moments of Jesus coming in and cleaning you, and pure, you know, through the words being spoken and through, through the biting, and you start valuing, you say, whoa, I'm not, I can't be measured by anyone else. How can any of us be measured by one another? Who are we other than who Jesus says we are and who we are agreeing to Jesus, what he says about us? We don't have to gather anyone's approval. We don't even want approval. If we want approval, we can't be servants of God. We start accepting things that we would not have accepted, but now the word has given us, and it's like, wow. Let's stand together. I just feel the Lord's grace on us. Every one of us, if we've accepted Jesus Christ in our heart, we accept that Father put upon a, him our sin, and he died in our place, and made alive because we were justified, raised, seated. If we accept and declare these truths, then we are believers. Our journey of discipleship is something we have to make a decision to put ourselves into the disciplines of. The disciplines of of a disciple is to abide in the whole totality of God's word, to abide in the love that Jesus has for us as he abided in the love the Father had for him. So having our whole spectrum 
being framed by being loved, and then to abide in Jesus personally with the words, by the words he's speaking abiding in us. Now the beautiful thing is right at this moment, a heart turning, mouth, a heart just turning, you can experience and be refreshed in the fullness of everything that that means for you in eternity. We were all chosen in Christ before time began to be holy and without blame. We were all given inheritance in Christ before time began. There's no accidents with God. There's no like, oh, what happened? I, I, I haven't been around for so long, I didn't know where you were. I gave your gift to someone else. I gave you inheritance. God doesn't give inheritances to others. It's yours. He'll wait long enough for us, each of us, to come to our place. What a gift. What a gift that he'll wait for everyone, the last of us, not just to get saved, but to fully come into accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, we would ask the Holy Spirit that you would begin with encounters again. As you did with Mary, as you did with Zacharias, as you did with Joseph, as you did with Elizabeth, as you did with Simeon, as you did with Anna, do it with us again. Lord, bring us into your living, abiding in your word for how we're to live and abide in your word, submitting to a volume, a conversation from heaven. And Lord, please bring us into real love encounters with the love of God pouring into our heart to the Holy Spirit given to us to receive and to believe the love that God has for us. Whoa. And Lord, speak words that allow us to have a, a personal encounter, abiding place with you that is connected to the words you're speaking specifically to us. We don't have to look around and judge someone else and see what, they, uh, what we're doing, we should be doing because someone else is doing it. We just start living unto the Lord and knowing that's our place because it's what you're saying to us. Well, I just believe you. Lift up your hands. Just receive. I think he's, he's Holy Spirit so here. And it's his whole job is to bring to us everything God has given Jesus and everything Jesus is giving us. Things are possible. 
is now forever ours. of us set free by the Son, to be made whole. Receive love. Receive love. There's no limit to the love that we can encounter in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God pouring love out. Oh, and receive His words again. Return His words back to Him. Well, those things He said long ago, let Him come alive again. They're the rhema, the spoken word. Abide in Jesus with His word. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. The eternal is eternal. The eternal is eternal. The eternal is eternal. The eternal is eternal. The eternal is of us individually and flowing out of us to those around us we would like you to move with graciousness and generosity we who have been barren for so long visit us like you did Elizabeth and give within us a joy and a separation a blessing those of us who are young and are being propositioned by Almighty God in the living word may we say yes and may we not shrink back at the circumstances that it brings. But may we not either retaliate or change, but just press in. Press in. May we be communicators of promise to one another. Hope givers wherever we go. Activators. That may the Annas and Simeons look around and go, I see you carrying Jesus. You're the carrier of salvation in your arms. Oh Lord, awaken for everyone. And may we go beyond who we love and who we see, but may we begin to prophesy to those who we do not love and we cannot see. 
let us see like Barnabas. The Sauls of Tarsus are really the Pauls, the apostles. There's a new move of God in the earth today. New awakenings in the souls of men. New lives returning back to Christ. Prophesy, prophesy. Children returning, lives are coming forth. Praise you. Praise you. Praise you, praise you, praise you. Praise you. So Lord, seal us with the Holy Spirit of promise. Bring to us into remembrance the words you're speaking. Give us the disciplines of abiding in your word, abiding in your love, and abiding in Christ with your words abiding in us. Help us become your disciples, fruitful, aware, known to the earth, and those who live in great freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.